listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. So a couple of times a year, uh, we have this scenario where there are five Sundays in the month. And if you've been around for a while, you know that for the last probably two years, we've been utilizing these fifth Sundays to take a break from the normal routine and to create some space for people in the church to share their story. And this comes from Psalm 107. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Uh, You could paraphrase that. Uh, make space for the redeemed to share what God's done in their lives. And so some of you will remember, some of you have sat in the hot seat here with me and shared your story. Uh, Many of you will remember stories that we've heard. Today, the stories that we're going to hear are going to be a little bit of a different emphasis. Uh, Some people get up and they share, here's this miraculous thing that God has done to change my life. Sometimes people are sharing about a harrowing season that they've lived through. What we're going to do today is have an emphasis on the city in our storytelling. And the city, if you think about the the motif of a city through the scriptures, uh, cities play an interesting role. On the one hand, you have uh, the city as like the, the archetype of institutionalized evil. Babylon plays that role in the Old Testament. It's picked up again metaphorically in the book of Revelation. The city is the place where you know, evil mutates and grows and works its way into the fabric of a community and its systems and its relationships. But cities can also be a sign of God's redemptive work. Jerusalem uh, was the the place where God's name chose to dwell, where the tabernacle originally was, where the the temple originally was. And the, the city was meant to be like a city on a hill like Jesus picks up on in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In Revelation 21, uh, we're given a picture of the city as the image for like what we would like commonly say is heaven, that uh, the new city, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and this new city is planted on the earth and heaven and earth are brought together in the, the new city, the renewed Jerusalem. When the prophet Jeremiah is sent to speak to the people who had been exiled, God wants to deliver a message to them about the city of Babylon into which they've been carried. God says through the prophet, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city into which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for the city, because if the city prospers, you too will prosper. If you think about it simply in terms of population densities, if you are able to see a map of where people are concentrated on planet Earth, there's great concentration in cities and urban centers. Tim Keller said, in cities you have more image of God per square inch than anywhere else on Earth. And we're going to be talking about the city in two of our stories today. The first is going to be in a conversation with uh, my friend James Wagner. Uh, James is a part of our church. Uh, He has a master's in city planning and regional development, regional planning uh, from Georgia Tech. Uh, Some of you know that in the city of Tulsa, if you want to take a bus, like Peoria Avenue is the place to be. James, I, I didn't have you correct me, tell me the stat. Is it every how many minutes will a bus show up on Peoria? 
Every 15 minutes, you can hop on a bus on Peoria. There's kind of the express bus route on Peoria. James was one of the lead architects behind that. He was the principal transportation planner for INCOG. He was the chief of performance and strategy for the city of Tulsa, uh, director of finance and the CFO for the city of Tulsa. So I, I can barely, you know, like tie my shoes. James is balancing the budget for the city of Tulsa. Uh, he's now moved into a totally different role that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Most importantly, uh, James is a guy who loves Jesus. He is married to Samantha. He's dad to Bennett, Nolan, and Sloan. He's a part of our church. Church, please join me in welcoming James Wagner. All right. James, thank you for doing this for the second time for the day. Yeah, you're going to do great. Um, so you have been working for the city of Tulsa for uh, a while and uh, been in the mayor's office, been in the most central conversations about uh, the life of our city. And so I'm curious, each of us have our own experience of the city. Some of us live northwest, southeast. Some of us live in the heart of the city. But from your perspective, what is Tulsa like? What are, what are the strengths, the, 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 the assets of our city? And then where are some of those aspects of our city that we really need to grow, that maybe even keep you up at night or keep the mayor's office up at night? So I think in terms of uh, things that we're really good at as a city, I think we have really collaborative leaders. Uh, not, this can't be said really of, of every city in the country. Uh, we have people who have high degrees of trust in leadership uh, in not just city government, but uh, across, uh, you know, uh, county governments and within other cities as well. So I think that's a positive. Uh, we're also a city where uh, there are, uh, I always say there's like kind of like six degrees of separation of everyone in Tulsa. There's lots of people who know one another. There are people who know someone who knows someone. So there's the ability of, 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 of People, people to be able to uh, find someone to, to, to help if they need help. Uh, this is kind of an inside baseball thing, but we have good infrastructure in Tulsa. Uh, there are a lot of cities that really struggle with infrastructure, just basic things like water and sewer infrastructure, things like that. Um, and I think it's well known that Tulsa is a very generous city. So those are kind of, I think, some things that we're, we're good at. Um, as everyone, I think, is aware, um, Tulsa, like many cities around the country, has... Uh, has really seen an increase in homelessness. Um, there's lots of reasons for that, um, but uh, one of them, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit, is uh, breakdowns in relationships. Um, and so I think that's uh, something that uh, we, can, we can obviously get better at. Another thing is, uh, I think traditionally cities have kind of approached problems as like the city is working on, a, you know, this problem. And uh, I think there's an opportunity for cities to think differently about problems as uh, something that we're working on with our residents. And an example of that is what uh, Cornerstone has done with uh, the emergency shelter. Um, and so uh, that was a problem that we faced as a city, uh, and we as a church stepped up and said, we're going to help be uh, a part of the solution to that uh, problem. Another issue that I think we see, not just in the city, but I think in society in general, is an increase in people saying that they are lonely. Hmm. Uh, so... Uh, there was a recent survey done, and six in ten Americans say that they sometimes or always feel that uh, no one knows them. Mm. So I think that is something that, uh, and that's increased over the last few years. There's been lots of academic work on that. Uh, another th area where I think uh, we can improve is related to that, and that is uh, in the creation of places where 
uh, people informally connect. Uh, there's a concept known as third places, and that uh, sort, of, sort of like home is your first place, work is uh, often people's second place, although those are one and the same now for many people. Uh, and then the third place, are th uh, the third places are places where people connect many times informally uh, uh, to be able to develop relationships. It's interesting how planning a space, planning a place, does have an effect on people's relationships. So I went to the gathering place yesterday with kids, and uh, because it was 200 degrees outside, uh, we went to the water features. And uh, if you want to get water to come out and you know, cool down, you have to interact with other people. You need one person who's pumping the water and other people who are doing things. And thinking about how from a city planning perspective, we encourage and discourage relationships. And a great uh, example uh, in our city, but that's being discussed nationally is like uh, 244 going right through the heart of Greenwood and the effect that that's had on race relations in the city and the flourishing of that community. Where are you seeing some of these dynamics about um, how we shape and think about place affecting relationships? So first, uh, on, on relationships, there is a, a really fascinating study that Harvard has been doing since the 1930s. It's the longest running study on human happiness that has ever been done in the history of, 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 uh, the, of the earth. And so, uh, so what they have concluded is that uh, among all the things that you think might impact a good life, what, what it creates a good life, relationships and good relationships stand out as being one of the things that is uh, the most uh, commonly connected. And so, as we think about that as the context, you know, how can we as a city create places where people can have a good relationships? So we did some work um, a couple of years ago where we uh, specifically asked Tulsans. Uh, we, said, we asked them a simple question. Life is a ladder with 10 rungs. Where do you see yourself on that ladder today? So sort of this self-ascribed version of, of what life success looks like. And then we asked lots and lots of other questions about uh, what we think might lead to a, to a uh, higher ladder response. So things like, you know, education, access to healthcare, access to parks, and access to all sorts of things. And we, but we also asked about relationships. So we said, uh, we asked questions like, uh, it, do, you, it, do you feel like your neighborhood is the perfect place for you? Uh, so in other words, do you feel like you belong in, in the place where you live? Uh, do you feel... Uh, that city leaders care about what people like you think. So do you feel like you are heard? Uh, we asked questions about uh, whether or not people had someone that they could reach out to in a if they had a crisis. And when it was all over, we asked uh, the folks at Gallup, who we partnered with to do this, just help us understand what are the things that are most highly correlated with people answering higher on that life as a ladder question. And somewhat to my surprise, uh, the answer was uh, two things. Two things were the highest drivers of that. One is the question about the belonging. So uh, I feel like my neighborhood is the perfect place for me. And the other was uh, that I feel like city leaders care about what people like me think, so I am heard. Uh, and people that answered that were more than twice as likely to, to be thriving as people who uh, didn't answer that. So that was irrespective of all the other uh, of, of the things that you think could, to, could drive a thriving life. And so as we think about that, we have to ask ourselves the question, like, what can we do to create places where people feel like they belong and, uh, and that they're heard? Hmm. Um, it's fascinating that what's true on a city scale is also true on a very small scale, that everybody comes into a room just wondering, is anybody going to notice me? 
Some may be really hoping not to be noticed. Uh, but generally, over the course of our life, we all want to be seen. We want to be valued. Um, you've mentioned neighborhoods. You have a really cool new job title, which is the Director of City Experiences, or City Experience, and neighborhoods play into that pretty prominently. Um, give us an understanding of why are neighborhoods so important? Why should we, uh, in particular as Christians, care about the topic of neighborhoods? So um, an interesting thing I learned from John when I went through the catechesis class is that the early church didn't grow by this sort of method of going out and doing evangelism. It grew through these casual contacts that people had with one another in their very close proximal community. And as we think about relationships, if relationships is the driver of a happy life, uh, the other thing that, uh, another statistic uh, that we learned from that survey was that uh, more, uh, about 52% of people, when you ask them, do you have someone nearby that you could reach out to in a crisis? 52% of Tulsans say no, they do not. And so I think as believers, we have to be really uh, looking at that and saying, how, you know, how can we be the person who someone in my neighborhood could reach out to if they were having a crisis? Uh, so I think those are kind of the ways, and I think, um, you know, the way our urban design is in Tulsa, uh, it, it sort of is not, it doesn't necessarily encourage those sort of like casual contacts, right? We have garages that we pull into and, you know, close the garage door, and they're, they're just, our, our, our urban design does not necessarily set us up for like having those encounters. So I think we mm -hmm. have to kind of work harder to be able to create those kind of casual encounters with our neighbors. Um, so... It, maybe it's, you know, create, having a barbecue where uh, people uh, around on your block are coming by to just get to know one another in a, in a casual way. Maybe it's figuring out how to create. Maybe your neighborhood does have that third place, but how to activate that in a way that's welcoming uh, to everyone that's there. Yeah, it makes me think about, um, obviously, we don't want crises to happen. We don't want another ice storm. We don't want another huge storm like we've just had and still cleaning up. Um, but they're actually gifts <laughs> in terms of giving us a, a, an excuse to come together to check on our neighbors. Uh, I think that's really, really uh, profound. Um, this role, the Director of City Experiences, uh, is a new one. You're the first one to inhabit this. As you think about this new role, what, what are you hoping for? What are your goals as the Tulsa's first Director of City Experience? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, uh, one of the things that we have talked a lot about is how do we create these uh, these uh, structures where we can uh, encourage belonging and being heard. And so uh, one of the uh, mechanisms for that is neighborhood associations. And uh, Tulsa has some, you know, really great neighborhood and homeowners associations. Um, but I think we could do better on that. And so we're thinking about how can we support uh, those associations as pl places where people can feel like that they are, they are, they are known uh, and that they're heard. Um, and then the other is just that physical aspect of it. So um, how can we create uh, the uh, ability for those third places to be created in the city? So uh, those are kind of uh, two big elements. Yeah. One of the deep, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the deep hopes that we have as a church is that, you know, each of us are called to some unique place. For some, it's being a doula. For some, it's staying home. For some, it's being a vet. For some, it's being an accountant. God has called you to inhabit your vocation, whatever it is, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so, James, you, you have a really cool vocation. It's very particular. 
Um, and everybody's got their own origin story. And so uh, you've grown up in this city, but you've also grown up as a person who knows and loves Jesus. What's your origin story about caring about this stuff as a, a disciple of Jesus? So um, I didn't know <laughs> that the profession of city planning was even a thing when I was in undergraduate school. Uh, so I studied finance and uh, then later learned about that. I'd always been kind of fascinated by how cities worked. Um, and so uh, learning that I could do that, I, uh, my wife and I decided to move to Atlanta. But before we did that, uh, we had purchased a house here in Tulsa near 31st and Sheridan. And uh, when we were moving in, uh, we met a young man who uh, was 13 at the time, uh, and he just immediately came to us and said, hey, I've got a whole bunch of friends that can help you move in. We'd love to help you move in. So we, we said, sure, you know. And that started a relationship with him that's now 18 years in. He's in his mid-30s now. He's married and has three kids. And It's me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hey, it's John. And uh, so... That, but that, the quality of that kind of relationship over that, that period of time uh, was something that kind of made me recognize, like, neighborhoods are places where people can connect. And uh, so that, that's one uh, aspect. Um, the, the second is just when we were moving, when we were living in Atlanta, uh, one of the things that struck me is that Atlanta is a city of neighborhoods. It is a city where people are just as likely, in fact, more likely to say, when you ask them where they're from, to say the name of their neighborhood, not the cross street that they live closest to, but the actual name of their neighborhood. And they identify with their neighborhoods uh, in, in a very strong and kind of rooted sort of way. And then I would say the third uh, is uh, my parents. Uh, they're here today, and they have invested in their community and their neighborhood uh, through running a neighborhood pool and a neighborhood association for many years. And I think that mm. sort of dedication to uh, public service in that way, at a very local way, uh, has been an inspiration. So, James, you're talking, I, I was thinking <clears throat> that in some ways, Christians are called to be like the immune system of neighborhoods. That, we're, you know, if you walk into an apartment building and half of the people in that apartment building, building would say, I don't have anyone I could reach out to, Christians ought to go into that and think, like, I'm part of, I should be part of the healthy system response of this. But the thing that I, I also heard you say is, in meeting this young man, it's not that you helped him chiefly, but that in, in developing this relationship, he's helped you tremendously. And so it's not just that we're coming in as the heroes, but we actually have something to gain from inhabiting our cities. Yeah, and I would say that that relationship with that young man, has, he has helped me in more ways probably now than I have helped him over, the, over, the, over time. And uh, so it really is, uh, you know, and I think that's, that's the way that relationships are, should be and are, are designed. And I think, you know, there are, um, I, I guess when, one of the things I would, I would uh, you know, ask is if there, if, 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 you think about your neighborhood, the, th the place where you live, and you would say, I don't know who it is that would, re that would reach out to me in a, in if they were in a crisis. Uh, I would challenge you to think about, like, how might you um, uh, change that narrative? How mm -hmm. might you change that in terms of wh who's going to reach out to you in a crisis? And maybe the other way around as well. 
um, because uh, our lives uh, are, are, you know, go in, 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 you know, ebbs and flows. And so there may be times where someone needs to reach out to you in a crisis. There may be times the opposite. And that has definitely been the case with that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, uh, that young man who's now, again, now in his 30s, has now, uh, you know, he has helped me see things and see uh, 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 perspectives that I had never uh, even thought about. So it's been cr- tremendously yeah. powerful. Yeah, thanks for that. So hopefully you know this, um, the mission of our church, if you know this, say it with me, is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'll get more confident on that. Um, James, as just, a final, as just a final word, as we think about the renewal of our city, uh, what encouragements would you give to us as the church together and as, as individual followers of Jesus? How would you uh, encourage us, admonish us to be about the renewal of our city? So I would say a couple of things. One is, uh, I think, ask yourself the question, do you feel rooted and connected and invested in the place where you live? As a, you know, we talked about earlier, the early church, uh, you know, was very much this casual uh, contact uh, was the way the early church grew. So uh, do you feel that way? And if you don't, uh, how are ways that you could be? Um, maybe it's just hosting a barbecue, you know, on, on your block. Uh, to get to know the folks uh, in, in your area. Um, and so the other was the, the thing I, m- I mentioned already is like asking yourself, who, who is it that would reach out to me in a crisis? Or maybe who is it that I would reach out to in a crisis? So I think just those, those simple, asking those simple questions and cha- challenging yourself to answer those uh, questions, uh, you know, I think would uh, go a long way. Yeah, thanks, James. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to tell you thank you for, your, for sharing. Lord, we thank you for how you have uniquely positioned James Wagner to serve this city at this place and time. Uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for his personality and his mind, his gifts, his skills. Thank you for this family, Lord Jesus. Uh, I pray that everything he touches would flourish. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Tulsa as it is in heaven. Uh, Help us to be people who love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, would you all thank James for sharing? Thanks. So the next person to share today really needs no introduction. She is Cornerstone's very first youth pastor, and she's a person who inhabits our city in a really great way. Please welcome Holly Sharp. So uh, Holly has been on our church staff for a number of years, and this is your last day as Cornerstone's first youth pastor. Tomorrow will be your first official day, and a new role is our welcome director, which we'll talk about just a little bit. But Holly, something that I love about you is that you and your family inhabit our city really thoughtfully. You're also among the most hospitable, generous people on planet Earth, which probably lots of us have experienced. But one of the ways that you've chosen to be deliberate um, with your family about how you engage in the life of the city is through where you send your kids to school. Um, Tell us about what you're doing, why you have done that, and what the impact on your family life has been in that school choice. So um, we have four children, and they 
have attended an elementary school, it's a Tulsa Public School elementary school called Felicitas Mendez International School. Um, and so when our eldest was entering kindergarten, we started thinking about school. And community has always been something that's been very important to our family. Um, it, we think it shapes our family and it shapes our children. And so when considering school, I tell people this a lot, like take the tour, do the academic things, teachers, I do think academics are important. But what you can't tell in a school tour is what the community aspect of a school is really like. And so, um, you know, like go to a football game, go to a community event, uh, go to a homeschool co-op play group, do something to figure out what is this community like and do I want this to impact my family? And so we were thinking about what do we really want in a, in a bigger sense for our family in the school that we choose. So at the time, we actually um, were deeply impacted by James and Samantha Wagner, who were already a part of this school, and realizing we wanted something a little different than what our kids could experience um, in their very white, middle-class, midtown world that we lived in. And so Mendez really offered that for us. It's a, it's a dual-language immersion school. They're learning another language. And in addition to that, because of the way the school is structured, half of the students there are native Spanish speakers. And so we are surrounded by um, a deep um, Hispanic community that brings a lot of the beauty of that culture that we have begun to embrace and know and understand. We know people from different parts of Tulsa than we probably would have met otherwise because of that. The school itself is located in North Tulsa, so it also draws people geographically from that area. Um, and so these are the people that are in our day-to-day -day lives are our community um, that we are investing in, that they're investing in our children. And it's, it's changed our understanding of the city of Tulsa, but also our kids' greater understanding of what it means to be in community with people who look different than them, their families maybe function different than, than, than ours does. Um, but at the end of the day, as good parents, we just all want what's best for our kids. And so for our kids to see, these are just other families that really want what's best for their kids also. It, it's really kind of changed our family for really good, in really good ways. What I, what I love about what you've said is I hear you being deliberate about seeing our city and the life of our city from very different angles. Uh, Midtown people are funny. Midtown people are like, oh, I have to drive south of 61st Street. Oh. <laughs> Um, in South Tulsa, people are like, oh, 31st at Harvard, oh my goodness. We all, have this, we all have our little bubbles within the city, the places where we feel most safe, comfortable. Um, and based on your experience, and, and as our, our youth pastor, you've tried to bring in a more holistic experience of the city into the life of our middle schooler and high schoolers. Um, you did that last year with the kind of, that kind of mindfulness when you took our students to Kansas City. We partnered and did a serve week with an Anglican church in Overland Park called Christ Church. And then uh, this has been a couple of years coming. You had a goal of doing a serve Tulsa week. And so that happened this summer with our middle and high schoolers. Um, Holly, what did, our, what did our students see and experience uh, in the city? What were some different angles they, they were able to, to pick up? And then were there any aha moments where students were like, whoa, this is Tulsa, or, or were we able to see their gifts in a new way? So we've been, with, the, with Cornerstone students, we've been practicing all year what it means to serve, honestly. We've been practicing renewal. Once a month, we do some kind of renewal or service project. And a lot of that is, you know, it's easy sometimes to think, oh, service has to happen over there 
in this other country or in this other city, but there is great need for renewal and service here in our neighborhoods, in our city. And so learning that, understanding it, talking about what it really means to meet people's needs, um, these things have been really important. So this summer, I've, I've been dreaming about this throughout the tenure of Cornerstone students. Um, we took the opportunity to spend um, a half week away together in town um, in Northwest Tulsa in um, a neighborhood that's really, it's, they, they have called themselves the forgotten zip code. It's a part of Tulsa that people in Tulsa say is Sand Springs and people in Sand Springs says it's, say it's Tulsa. And so everybody just kind of overlooks it. Mm. And there's a community organization there called The Common Good that we partnered with to go, how are we going to really invest in this community? And so um, on a week where none of us had power and um, it was very warm with no air conditioning, we went and served anyway. And so uh, one day we were at the Sandy Park Housing Authority community um, and so walked into this housing authority complex and did our best to help create some of these third spaces James talked about to make this a place that can have a neighborhood. So it was an outdoor basketball court and we power washed the outdoor basketball court. And as Hampton was power washing the outdoor basketball court, this woman in one of the apartments comes outside and goes, you gonna do my apartment next? <laughs> and he said, after I finished the basketball court, yes ma'am. And she stood out and watched him finish that basketball court. And he went and washed her apartment. And at the end of the day, he was like, you know, she never would have had that done had, had God not put us there to do this. And she, got, she has a clean apartment now, and she was really grateful. Um, the next day, we went to a church in the neighborhood, um, and they didn't have power, and we were like, hey, we're going we're gonna to serve anyhow. So we restriped their parking lot, um, and I got to watch um, several of these students just be really meticulous and paint um, paint very carefully the lines, repaint handicap spots. Um, Gabe Stone was so focused on getting those handicap spots perfectly painted. Um, but in the midst of this, I, being the excitable person that I am, spilled paint all over the stoop of this church. And um, Harper and Natalia and Sydney, who's one of our volunteers, who are all very artistic, took my big paint spill and turned it into a huge version of that church's logo that's on the stoop entering their church. Then we took this church that previously was like, you can't even see where the parking lot mm -hmm. spots are. There's a couple of different versions of a logo and created this beautiful parking lot with this welcoming logo that they created freehand. Um, we put, they, the pastor of the church went and bought, um, a bunch of hamburgers and cooked them on their gas grill because there was no power and we put meals together and went out in the neighborhood and the students got to go door to door and learn how to go up to a stranger's door and offer food and have conversations with people and you know they said like well, like these some of the people were like get off of my property and then some of the people wanted to chat and were so hot and lonely honestly they mm -hmm. they were just stuck there and they couldn't really do anything or go anywhere and to see like man there are people in my town that don't live that far away that their lives look really different but they're just like me they're just like the people i go to school with they're no different um, and to be able to go and offer a smile and offer some food and offer some hope that we know is rooted in christ 
Uh, it's just really made a difference. And so for all of us to be able to do that, to see that, to hear stories from the folks who run the common good of lives that have been changed and generations of families that are changing, and for these students to see that they have skills that they can use to further mm-hmm. the kingdom. I took um, five high schoolers, and we put someone's fence back up that had blown over in the storm. It was a woman who is the caretaker for her great-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. She has two grandchildren who she also raised who wouldn't come put her fence back up. And so we got to go in and put their fence back up. One of the guys, his dad owns a construction company, so he was like, well, I know how to do this. And we were all like, great, because we don't. And uh, Link led the way, and we put the fence up and put it together. And this woman was teary, so grateful, because her great-grandchildren could safely run around the Mm. yard because it was a fence again, to use the gifts God's given us and do things to help others to further the kingdom of Christ. It's just, it's it's not complicated. And to be able to show them, hey, it's really easy just to step outside of our comfort zone, use our own skills, and really love people for the gospel. It's a choice, but it's, it's not really all that hard. Yeah, I love that, Holly. Um, shifting gears, mm-hmm. you were hired as our first youth pastor not terribly long before the pandemic. Uh, and the work that you've done over the last four-ish years has been largely invisible. Um, the, they, they say that in church plant kind of world that often the, the composition of the community reflects in some ways the, the life stage of the pastor. And so you may have noticed that we have a, a more than a few children in our church. And uh, there have been three pregnant women on the stage today. Uh, <laughs> not, not you're me. not one of them. I'm yeah. not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Unless Holly. No. I am not one of them. <laughs> So I don't yet have teenagers, and our church has reflected that in some way. So the, the teenagers have been more like a diaspora within our church, kind of spread out, and you've been the first gatherer. As you look back on um, the last couple of years in this role as our first youth pastor, director of Cornerstone Students, uh, what have been some high moments or some sweet moments for you? Um, my whole career has been in youth ministry in one aspect or another. And so I say this with some authority that the group of teenagers we have in this church are really uniquely wonderful people. Um, I do recognize I'm biased, but I've spent a lot of time with teenagers and this is a, a really wonderful group of young people. They are kind, they are thoughtful, they're thoughtful about their faith, they're thoughtful about their relationships. Um, And so it has been such a privilege to do this for the last four years and to get to know these students and know their hearts and see how they want to know more about what it looks like to follow follow Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of things I could tell you, a lot of stories I could tell you, and the way they have flexed in the midst of like, man, a really hard four years, you know. Um, They came to youth group on Zoom, which is like weird, you know, and and they dealt with hot and cold and when we needed to meet outside. But in the midst of all that, because of the makeup of our church, and I think this is probably true of any church that's in the city, we have kids from schools all over the city. We have like nine or ten schools represented in our youth group, and I think that number will continue to grow as the youth group goes, to be honest. And these are students who don't necessarily have a lot of real obvious commonalities that they're not they're not all interested in the same things um they go to different schools they live in different parts of town and despite that they have come together 
to build a really beautiful community of students shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. Um, Then that they see in each other, whether or not they realize that, so some of you are hearing me say this now, that their connection is really that they are seeing Christ in each other. And the commonality of Christ has drawn them together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I always say, like, there is no JV Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit and living in them that lives in us, and that that is calling out to each other, and they have cared for each other well and known each other well um, and become friends but also um, real champions for each other. And it's just been a really beautiful thing to see as they have – begun to trust each other, begun to trust what it looks like to have a, a Christian community. And I hope that that would be something that as they leave our church community in a few years and launch out into the next stage in their life, that they go, that is really valuable and I just need to continue mm. pursuing that because that community and those relationships made a real difference mm. in my life. So you sensed a couple of months ago that it was kind of the fullness of time for you, that your, your time is, is in this role was coming to an end. Um, it, I, we also see the, how the Holy Spirit has worked to kind of orchestrate the whole turn of events. Our youth group is going to double in two weeks as our sixth graders officially become part of the youth group. I see a couple of them going like this, excited. Um, tomorrow, our new uh, youth pastor is named Ribbon Dorado. Ribbon is on her way back from leading a mission trip in Lebanon right now. She will be in the office tomorrow afternoon. I'll be very grateful for you to meet Ribbon. But this means that you're shifting into a new role as the welcome director, which if ever there was a perfect, like, you are the welcome director of my neighborhood, <laughs> and you're new to the neighborhood. You're, you're the welcome director everywhere you go, Holly. Um, that will mean things like greeters at the door and having clean coffee stations and things like that. But uh, your heart is more than that. What does your work as the welcome director help us reach toward as a church? Um, you know, the thing that draws people to a church is, is what we were talking about earlier, walking in a room and being noticed whether you want to or not. And for whatever reason, as you probably have all noticed, Cornerstone has like really exploded in size in the last several months. And so we have all of a sudden tipped over into this territory where it's really easy to be here and fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. No one knows you're here. And for some people that's really comfortable, but for some people that creates a real ache of like, I want to know and be known. Um, by people who look like me, but also by people in different generations and to engage with people and to know people. And so hopefully um, that what my desire is, is to begin to figure out how do we draw, draw all the different people together at Cornerstone so that you can know the faces, know the names, um, create deeper spiritual friendships, that it's more than just, oh, I saw that person Um, you know, everyone knows Phil, but do you know anyone else that greets you when you walk into Cornerstone? Um, but to know more things, to be able to have some of those connections so that we can, my hope would be that the, the 50% statistic that James gave us that half of the people don't have anyone that they can Mm -hmm. call that that Mm -hmm. is just, um, proven totally false Mm -hmm. in the Cornerstone community Mm -hmm. that people here would go, man, I have a long list of people I Mm -hmm. could call in a crisis in a, in a, whether it's a literal, physical, a tree fell on my house crisis or a spiritual crisis, that I have someone that I can call who will, who will care for me, who will pray for me, who will step into life with me. Mm-hmm. And so how do we create spaces for that? How do we create 
events that can draw us together? Um, what are the unique things that make Cornerstone the way it is? And we can begin to meet and connect in ways that feel life-giving and not just like really painful. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm grateful you're in the role. And Holly, you've, the, because the work you've done has been so invisible, I want to say publicly how much I just love and admire and respect and appreciate you. So you've done, I didn't plan on that happening. Um, you've just done really important work as our first youth pastor. We love you for it. Thank you. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.